Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had the chance to meet you quite yet, I'm Pastor Laura. I'm usually across town at our Greenwood campus, but I am so excited to get to be here with you all this morning as we continue this sermon series called, Can I Get a Witness? You know, all of us as human beings, we naturally ask the question, what is my purpose? Like what on earth was I put here for, right? All of us want to have a life that matters. All of us want to have a life that counts. All of us wants to live a life that makes a difference. And so often what we, we try to do is say, well, we will do that when, when we get this certain career, when we reach this, this certain achievement, when we get to this certain milestone, only to get to that certain place and, and find ourselves longing for something more. We get there and we find ourselves asking the question like, what's next, right? Surely there's more to life than this. Well, Jesus has told his disciples past and present what this something else is, and it is to be his witnesses in the world. No matter what else that we find ourselves doing, we have been called to be this pocket of people on the planet who are able to anticipate God's goodness, who intentionally notice God's presence. And as we will see today, who are able to name God's activity in the world around us. And so let's talk about names for a moment, okay? We all have one, right? So we already have something in common today. Um, but I'd love to know, what is your name and how did you come to have it? I'm gonna actually invite you to turn and tell someone, preferably someone you did not ride to church with, but if that's how it works out, okay. Um, but turn to someone and tell them your name and if there's a story behind it, go. All right. Man, I love the chatter in this room. This is great. Now, I'm, like I said, I'm usually over at the Greenwood campus, and our, our sanctuary is about this big, okay? So I'm used to being able to just, like, talk back and forth with the people there. Sometimes I ask rhetorical questions, but I've learned there is no rhetorical question in that space. People will just answer to me, which I love. So we're going to try a little something, um, and we'll see if, if we can all hear each other. I'll try to relate it. But I'd love to, to hear from someone. Somebody tell me who they met and, and the name uh, the story behind the name of, of the person that you talked with. Someone be brave. Martha will do it. I knew she would. This is my friend Ryan. The, Ryan. Okay, Ryan. And he's named after a Cubs baseball player. Well, there you go. Makes sense. One more person. Okay. And, oh, which TV show? It was named Angie. Well, there you go. 
Well, it's interesting that you should say that, that it might have come from a TV show because, like I said, my name is Laura. And so many people assume that because I'm named Laura and I was born in the 80s, that my name comes from a certain soap opera character. You know, Luke and Laura from General Hospital. And in fact, I was born just two months before this mega wedding took place that 30 million people, including Pastor Lewis, if he's in here, he confessed this morning that he was among those 30 million people that watched. Um, People watched on, but I have to tell you guys that in all actuality, I'm not named after Laura Spencer. I'm actually named after this woman who is my great grandmother. And uh, for the longest time, though, I had no idea that this was the case, that I was named after this woman that I saw all the time. Because the thing that I came to learn was that my great-grandmother actually hated the name Laura and refused to be called it and went by her middle name instead, which was Mildred. So there you go. It's a little awkward, right? You know, a little awkward uh, to have someone you love call you a name that they loathe over and over and over again. But my mom, she thought it was a great idea because my mom, she wanted to name her first daughter after the woman she adored most in this world. And that was my great-grandmother, Laura. And so, Laura, I became. Someone gave you your name. Maybe they gave you your name because they just liked the sound of it. Maybe they gave you your name because it was after someone that they respected or adored. Maybe they gave you your name because they liked the meaning attached to your name. But being given a name christens us into life. It it makes us real and it connects us to the world around us. I can remember this scene very well. Um, It was in the afternoon, my dad had gone out on a walk. He'd gone out alone, but he came back with something in his arms. It was this little Siamese kitten that he found on the side of the road. And me and my sister, we were thrilled to see this kitten, but my mom, not so much. Um, We were ooing and aahing over it and we're like, of course, what, what should we name her, right? It's a natural question to which my mom interjected as quickly as possible. We are not naming this cat. We are going to find her another home. My mom, she, she knew the power of a name. You know, when you give a name to something or someone, it makes it real and it connects you to them. And so there was no way we were giving a name to this cat. And so in the meantime, while we're looking for a home for this cat, we called the cat the most generic name possible. We just called her Kitty, right? Because you got to call it something. And five years later, we were still calling her by that name. And uh, we were grateful for all the kittens she brought into our life as well. P.S., my mom came to love that cat more than any of the rest of us put together. So things were fine there. But Madeline LaEngle has said this about giving someone or something a name. She says, to be given a name is an act of intimacy as powerful as any act of love. And as I, as I hear that and as I reflect on that, I'm kind of struck by the number of times in Scripture that, that God looked at a person and he gave them a new name. People like Abram, who he came to name Abraham, as he called him to leave the place where he was from, where he had no children, to go to this new land that he would show him and make him into a father of this great nation. 
God, he would name Jacob Israel as he called him to go and be reconciled to his brother and to return to the land that he had promised to his family. God, through Jesus, he would name Simon Peter as he called him to leave his life of being a regular fisherman to become a person who fished for men in God's kingdom. God named Saul, Paul, as he, as he called him to leave a life of, of keeping the letter of the law to preaching the good news of grace to others. Now, I want you to notice something important here about all of these people that I've just named. In all of these cases, these names were given to these people not as a reward, not as a merit badge for something that they had done. In fact, none of these people had already done the very thing that God was inviting them to do in that moment. They had done nothing to earn or deserve this new name that God was giving to them. But they were given this new name instead to to make it clear what God was doing in their lives before they even recognized or understood it themselves. Giving them this name was this powerful act of love, this powerful act of love that made this new identity that God was giving them real, and it connected them to him. Sometimes, instead of just changing someone's name wholesale, God would give them a nickname instead. Maybe you have a few nicknames. I have many. They're all associated with my height, so we're not going to recount them today. But two of the men that God gave nicknames actually authored the the passages of scriptures that we read earlier. You know, King David, who, who penned so many of our Psalms, he was given the nickname, a man after God's own heart. And then John, who is credited with the gospel bearing his name and several letters and perhaps the the book of Revelation as well, he became known as the beloved disciple. Both of these men, they they were young when God called them. David was the youngest in his family. John, he was the youngest of all the disciples. Both of these men were just going along, working their family trade. David as a shepherd, John as a fisherman. Neither one of them had done anything to particularly distinguish themselves from anyone else up to this point where God called them. But when God gave them this new name, when they became aware of God's activity in their lives and they put this name to it, what it did is it radically shaped who they became from there. Naming is a powerful act of love that then creates growth in us. Have any of you ever watched the show on Netflix called The Chef's Table? Anybody seen this? All right, a few. Um, It's a documentary about all these different chefs that are creating all these amazing dishes around the world. Um, It's very well done. I will give you a disclaimer. If you watch it, you will be hungry, okay? Forewarned. Um, But uh, back in the first season, they had a chef on their show named Dan Barber. And Dan Barber has opened a restaurant in New York um, that's called Blue Hill. Um, he, he is passionate about creating great food, but just as passionate about creating great communities and a great world. But when he got started at Blue Hill, things were kind of slow at first. You know, he kind of thought, I'll make some good food and we'll just kind of see what happens, right? There wasn't this clear vision for who they were going to be. 
And in the midst of that, as they were getting off to this rocky start, he went out one day to the farmer's market, and it was asparagus season. Do we have any asparagus lovers in the room? I've I've learned to love asparagus over the years. So that was the freshest vegetable available. He bought a whole lot of it. He gets back to his restaurant, and guess what? There are already cases and cases of asparagus there. So he's very frustrated, like, you know, they don't need to be wasting any of this food. And, um, and so he, being stubborn, makes this declaration. He says, we are going to use all of this asparagus tonight. We are putting in every dish on the menu. When I say every dish, I mean every dish, from the appetizer to the main course, even in dessert. Can you imagine what kind of dessert that must have been? I tried to research and figure it out, but I couldn't. So... He gets started, and uh, it's pretty ridiculous as he gets into it, you know, trying to use up all this asparagus. But again, he's stubborn, so he's not going to quit. He keeps at it. They prepare the meals. They start taking the meals out to tables as people came in. And wouldn't you know it, on that very night, the country's foremost restaurant reviewer had come to his restaurant to eat dinner. He saw him sitting there and he thought, my career is done, (laughs) you know, this is it for us. I've really messed up. I've, I've made a fool of myself tonight. But when the review came out in the paper, this is what the headline said. It said, King of the Hill. And then it's, this is the subtitle. It said, Blue Hill proves that a farm restaurant can grow among the skyscrapers of Manhattan. And as Dan reflected on on seeing that headline, in that moment, he said this about that reviewer. He said, he defined us before we really knew who we were. He named us the new epitome of Farm to Table, a restaurant that was not shy about advertising a product that was at the height of its flavor. This reviewer was able to walk into that restaurant and name what was special about it before the chef even knew it. And it was a powerful moment. Because in that moment, it created this path forward for this restaurant to grow, for it to flourish, to to become a leader in the farm-to-table movement. He defined us before we even knew who we really were. That is what God does for us. Maybe you haven't heard, maybe you aren't aware, but God, he has a few nicknames for you. God has has said, because of what Jesus has done for us, not the other way around, not because of what we have done for him, but because of what Jesus has already done for us, God says that your name is light of the world and salt of the earth. He says that your name is forgiven and free. He says that your name is masterpiece. He says that your name is no longer servant, but friend, no longer condemned, but redeemed, no longer slave, but a child of the God most high. These are not the names that God says could be yours if you just work really hard for it. No, these are the names that God says you already are. And so what if we didn't resist these names? What if we didn't reject these names that Jesus, out of the greatest love for us, laid down his very life to make ours today? What growth might be created in us if if we came to believe that these names were truly ours because they are? How might we become more fully alive if we believed that we really are who God says we are? God has given us a new name And it is a powerful act of love that has created this potent potential 
for growth in us. But not only has God given us a, a new name and, and, and so that he can bring this growth in us, but he desires to create growth through us as well. You see, in the very beginning, as Genesis kind of describes for us in, in this beautiful way how the world came into being, it says that, that God named our world into existence. It talks about how to, out of the darkness, how out of the, the chaos, how out of what was formless and empty, God, day, he named the day and night. He named the sky. He named the land and the sea. And then after he named them and he created us as human beings in his very image, do you know what one of the very first jobs he ever gave us was? To name. To name just like him. To name all of the animals that he had placed on this earth. And as Adam started to name these animals, no longer were they just these generic creatures that were either up in the sky or in the sea or crawling on the earth. No, each of these creatures became distinct and defined. Each of them became significant and substantial, weighty and worthy, noticed and noteworthy. From the beginning, you and I, we were created and called and invited to be co-creators with God by naming his activity in the world around us. That's what David does in Psalm 71. You know, in those four short verses, it's, it's just amazing how many times he, he speaks to actions that are the same as naming God's activity. He says, my mouth will tell of or name your righteous deeds, your saving acts all day long. He says, I will come and proclaim, name your mighty acts. I will proclaim your righteous deeds. And he says, I declare, name your marvelous deeds. And then he says, even when he is old and gray, he asks God not to forsake him until he has had this chance to declare, to name his power to the next generation. David had been given a new name by God. And his response was to name. His response was to name God's activity in the world. The same is true for John. In the four short verses that begin his letter, um, he says three times that he is writing to proclaim, to name. And one time that he is writing to testify, to name what he had seen with his own eyes, what he had heard with his own ears, what he had touched with his own hands, Jesus life itself that came into our world. John had been given a new name by God and his response was the same, to name. Our God, he is always, always at work in the world around us. But when we are able to name it, whenever we are able to point it out, it is this powerful act of love that makes that activity real to us and connects us to him. In that moment, we become co-creators with him as we become partners in what we are pointing out that he is doing in our world. One of the most uh, beautiful ways that we get to do this is by naming how we see God at work in the people around us every single day. You see, most of the time, we as people, um, we can be completely blind to what others can so clearly see as true about us. Parker Palmer, he writes about this in his book, Let Your Life Speak. He says, our strongest gifts are usually those we are barely aware of possessing. 
They are part of our God-given nature with us from the moment we first drew breath, and we are no more conscious of having them than we are of breathing. And so it takes someone naming. It takes someone pointing it, pointing it out for us a lot of times to recognize how God has uniquely shaped us to work through us in the world. Um, on this last Wednesday afternoon, I had the chance to go to a very special service. It was a kind of service I've never been a part of, maybe you have before, but it was a blessing of an animal. And I kind of went to the service not really knowing what to expect. You know, it was just like another thing in a long line of days that I was happy to be a part of. Uh, but I didn't expect to leave with my life being changed, but it was. Um, it was this blessing of an animal service, but it was for a very special animal. It was for a service dog for a very special girl in our congregation named Abby. This is Abby Bailey with her dog, Balthasar. And, um, and at that service, um, I sat there and I, I cried through most of it. And people who know me, like, that's just not me. It takes a lot for me to cry. But as, as Abby's mom, Laura, stood up and began to tell us the story of, of when Balthazar was born and when, uh, when, what was happening at that same moment in Abby's life, like the medical conditions she was struggling with and the challenges she was facing, and she kind of connected the dots. She said, like, here's how having this dog would have changed those situations in Abby's life. If that wasn't powerful enough to kind of like really recognize the gravity of how life-changing this service dog was going to be to their family, there was this powerful moment in this service where, Abby was, uh, where Laura was talking, and all of a sudden she, she kind of just told us in the room, she's like, I'm not talking to all of you anymore. I'm talking right to Abby. And as she started to talk to Abby, she named, you know, how frustrating it is for Abby to be this smart and strong and spunky and passionate, sharp little girl, but have this body that just fails her over and over again. But then she looked her daughter in the eye, and this is what she said to her. She said, I have no doubt you are going to change things for the better for people with disabilities. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I have no doubt that you are a powerful force. Laura was naming in that moment. Laura was naming to her daughter how she could see so clearly that God wanted to be at work through her little life. It was this powerful act of love that created the opportunity of growth because if Abby did not know it before, now it had been made clear. Someone had pointed out the potential that God had placed in her to be a part of his righteous deeds and his marvelous works in the world. Honestly, I stand here preaching today because I had people who named, who named God's activity in my life. I grew up in a tradition where girls do not do what I'm doing here today. And so I, it was just not an idea that I had entertained. Um, in fact, when I came on staff here at Broadway 14 years ago, this was not something that was ever on my radar. It was not what I came here to do. But I will never forget the day that Pastor Adam and Pastor Lewis walked into my office and asked me to preach for the very first time. In that moment, they named something that they could see clearly in me that God wanted to do in and through my life that I had no idea about at all. It was this act of love that has created so much growth in my life. Maybe you can remember someone who named 
how they could see God at work in you. You know, perhaps they, they pointed out your knack for, for math and numbers or your ability to woo others. Maybe they told you that you had a gift for teaching or, or that you seem to be more generous than most. Maybe they noticed that you were a great problem solver or that you were just this natural helper. But whatever it was, consider the impact of that moment on your life and how it has shaped who you have become. And now know that you have that same power that same power to impact someone else's life. God has given you the power to give life to the people around you by pointing out how he is at work in and through them. And so this week, this is a challenge I want to give you. I wanna give you the challenge to name how you can see God at work in the people around you, particularly those closest to you. Don't assume that they already know. In fact, assume that they don't. And don't worry about it being awkward. Have the courage to point it out. Because remember, naming is a powerful act of love that creates growth in us and in others. As witnesses for Jesus, we anticipate God's goodness. We notice God's presence. And because we have been given a new name, we name God's activity in the world as we prepare to go to do that. As those who are named to name, let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful that you have given us this life and that, and that, that this life is not just about getting to a certain career or a certain achievement or a certain milestone but rather that you have invited us to be a part of doing nothing short of bringing your heavenly kingdom right here on earth. Lord God, we're so grateful for the ways that, that you have put us in, in places where we can name how you were at work and point it out in the lives of others. But God, in order to do that, first we have to recognize the name that you have given us. And so as we continue to worship today, God, may you help us remember who we are, your children who are dearly loved. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.